Well, good morning, Hills Church. It is good to be here with you. I have to say, incredibly humbling um, and an honor uh, to be here with you. We love this church. Again, my name is Brent Bramer, and I get to serve as lead pastor and lead planter at Slow City Church in San Luis Obispo, California. Um, I am married to my wife, Jenna. We just celebrated 18 years of wedded bliss. And, um, and these are our four kids, Keegan, Cole, Hattie, and Isla. Um, this is the picture that was captured, but it took all of this um, to get a good picture with the dogs, and it's kind of a crazy um, mess. I, it, has been, um, it has been a journey for our family and um, this last season of our life has been, um, I can only describe it as full. Uh, I, I say busy a lot, but it's just been full. I don't know if you've ever had a full season of your life where you've just got people going in different places and he's playing football and he's playing soccer and they're trying to do gymnastics and who's cooking dinner and what's church stuff and all of these things are just full. Have you ever experienced um, a really full season in your life. We're in the midst of that, and um, together, um, I've loved getting to be on this journey with my family. Together, our family got to be a part of the praying and the sweating and the dreaming and the planning and the planting, um, the work of seeing Slow City Church born and become a blessing in the heart of San Luis Obispo. We are just, as Rick just said, we're just over three years old, uh, planted September 8th, 2019, in the heart of San Luis Obispo, and we are still gathering outside. I brought some family pictures um, from our outside gatherings. Uh, we are indeed on a parking lot as we have outgrown our previous facility, and we wait for the long permitting processes and obstacles that comes with new spaces in California. Um, it is not, this has not been the story that I would have written. Uh, we, had, we had plans. We had expectations. We had organization. We had like an epic marketing campaign, right? And uh, what I've learned is that God writes bigger and better stories than we could ever write. God writes bigger and better stories than uh, we could ever write. Um, this past Easter, we saw 900 people uh, show up on a parking lot to to consider a Jesus who saves them, a Jesus who is Lord, and, um, and it's just exciting to see that we're just getting started. Um, I have to, before I continue on, I just have to say thank you. Thank you to the Hills Church. Um, thank you for your hospitality, your joy. Thank you to your leadership. Um, thank you to Rick and Jamie and David, uh, your, your missions team, the way that you have surrounded us the way that you call us, the way that you have visited us, the way that you have supported us has let us know that we're not alone, um, that we're in this together. And um, there's not a place like this. There's not a church like this. I guess it, there's something special happening here. And I just have to say thank you. You've been behind us every single step of the way. Um, I have loved getting to pray with some of your leaders and have your leaders call and pray with me. It is clear that the Hills is a praying church. The Hills is a praying church. And I love that that's straight from the mouth and the heart of Jesus as he quotes Isaiah. And he said, my house will be called a house of prayer. As we get started today, I just want to share a prayer that has marked my life, that has marked our marriage, that has marked our family's journey, our church planting story. Um, Paul prays this prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. And I want to pray this together as a church um, as we jump in today. It's Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 21, and Paul prays powerfully. I kneel 
before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, that he might strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and that you would know his love, this love that surpasses knowledge, that you would be full, filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could all ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations to every nation forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. This prayer has marked me, has hit me. And I pray that this prayer hits you different this this Harvest Sunday. That you would be filled with the goodness and the presence of God. That you would be rooted and held together and established in love. And that you and I would see that God is able. That God is able to do immeasurably more. What does it mean for something to be immeasurable? Something to be immeasurable is for it to be too big, too large, too extensive, too extreme to measure, to count today. Do you believe that God is able to do bigger and beyond, to do something extensive, something extreme, something amazing beyond what you or the church could even imagine possible? Have you seen or experienced the immeasurable in your life? Have you seen or experienced the immeasurable within the church? Do you believe this? Today, we're going to spend some time uh, in Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to see Jesus teach the first followers of Jesus, the first disciples, something powerful that will challenge what they thought possible. And it's going to teach us something powerful that will potentially change our perspective moving forward. And it has the ability to change everything for you and me and our culture, our cities, our nation, the world today. It's a moment that speaks to God's power and the possibilities available to you and I when we bring who we are, just who we are, when we bring what we have and we bring it to Jesus. Now here's the scene. Jesus has been doing ministry. He's been going city to city, street to street, house to house, person to person, eyeball to eyeball. He is locking eyes with real people. He is meeting the broken in the dirt. He is praying, teaching with authority, and the masses are clamoring just to get a glimpse of Jesus. They're they're clamoring just to be around Jesus, to hear his words, to see his heart. And things are changing when the unexpected happens in Jesus' life. Have you ever had a moment in your life where things were like kind of smooth sailing and then the rug was pulled out from under you? Where you experienced a loss or you got a phone call or you checked that email or that bill rolled in and something happened, something changed, the unexpected happened. It happened in Jesus' life too. Jesus gets word that his cousin has been murdered. His cousin, John the Baptist, has been in prison and then he is killed, the unexpected happens, and it sends Jesus into a season of grief. 
of anguish. We know Jesus was a man well acquainted with sorrow, and he experienced sorrow and grief when he hears his cousin has been killed, and so he makes a plan to get away by himself alone to process. He gets a boat, and he makes a plan to get on this boat, go to a remote area just to grieve, just to, just to process, just to pray. And this is where we pick up the story. That's the scene. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13 says this. As soon as Jesus heard the news about his cousin, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. Jesus, coming to the shore, saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them. And he healed their sick. That evening, the disciples came to him and said, Jesus, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. What happens when the unexpected happens in your life? What happens when you are in a season that it's just full, that you're busy, when you're tired, when you're exhausted? What happens when you grieve or when you are pained or when you experience some level of anguish? When you just want to be alone and you make the plans to be alone and then you show up to that coffee shop or you show up to that park and everyone and their brother is there to want to talk to you. Have you ever experienced a moment like that? Or maybe you had a hard day at work and you open the front door with plans to sit down on the recliner and watch the game, but you stepped into a circus. What's your posture? What is your attitude? What are the thoughts that you think? Are they, get away from me? What is it in Jesus? Jesus is pained, anguished, grieved. He's on a boat, he hits the shore, he is burdened, and yet he steps right into their burdens. Jesus doesn't say get away, he gets close. Jesus is grieved and he still gives. He has compassion, he heals the sick, he takes time emptying himself, giving of himself. He is praying with them. Why does Jesus do this? Why is this his posture? You know this. Because God is a giver. God is a giver. At the core of who God is, from creation, God makes and sustains and creates beautiful things and then provides and loves. He gives of himself. He gives compassion and grace. And Jesus is God wrapped up, full of every bit of the fullness of God represented in Jesus. And we see his compassion. He's attentive. He isn't dismissive. He is able and he is willing. The disciples, on the other hand, are hunting for that recliner. They say, Jesus, we've been here all day. This is a remote place. There's no uh, frescoes. There's, not, there's nothing around to eat. We're here and we have been watching you give. We've been watching you give. We've been watching you give and give and give and give and give. We are exhausted watching you give. And so they say, we got a plan. Jesus, I'm sure they had good intentions. We want to guard your energy. And so we have a plan. Let's, it's get, they're getting hungry. Let's send them back to their villages. Let's send the crowds away so that they can go back and buy food for themselves. And watch what Jesus does. He's about to teach them something. He's about to teach you and I something powerful. Verse 16 says this, but Jesus said, that isn't necessary. You feed them. Don't send them away. 
you feed them. But we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. You feed them. Hear that in Jesus' word. It isn't necessary to discard them, to dismiss them, but you feed them. Jesus seems to command, put a call, put a responsibility on those who follow him in this moment. You see they're hungry, right? He asks. You feed them. In this, Jesus challenges their compassion. He's compassionate. He challenges their compassion, their level of faith. You see the need and you rise to the occasion. One Sunday after church on our grand parking lot at 1150 Laurel Lane, uh, we got done with a great morning worshiping together, um, opening in the scriptures together. Um, and I saw him from across the parking lot. I saw his posture. I saw his, the, the look on his face as he was beeline, making a beeline right for me. And it, it, he, he, he didn't have his finger pointed, but I could see that it was pointed. And he was just marching across the parking lot, coming at me. And so I prepared my heart. I took a deep breath. I didn't know what was about to hit me or if he would hit me. But this individual came to me with a finger pointed and he said, I need to know something from you. <sighs> okay, help me, Jesus. What are you going to do about all the problems in our city? What are you going to do about the homelessness? What is this church doing about the loneliness epidemic hitting our city? What are you going to do for the hungry? What are you going to do from the marginalized? What is this church right now doing about this? And I took a step back and I said, sir, I, man, I appreciate your passion. I, I share that passion. And I went through what we did. We do these one-for-ones where our one church nominates one need. And we've been putting tires on people's cars. And we've been helping with rent assistance. And we've been meeting people with medical bills. Um, our, our little church of three, and I go through it, we, we just packed 40,000 meals to send to the poorest remote part of Haiti. We've, we've been, we uh, do partner with Big Brothers Big Sisters to see mentors and to come alongside families who fall through the cracks. This is all the things that we're doing. I made, kind of made a list like humbly and patiently. And then I felt the spirit say, it's okay to ask what you want to ask him. And I said, that's what we're doing, sir. It's what I'm doing, what I want to continue to grow in. What are you doing? What are you doing to meet the need? You see the need, right? You're passionate about the need. What are you doing? What is it about our culture? Maybe it's a sense of entitlement where we come to different people and organizations and systems and structures, institutions, and say, what are you doing to meet the need? And we're not willing to turn the finger right back around at ourselves and say, what am I doing? Have you seen the need? I know you've seen the need. Culturally, have you seen the need? The brokenness, the loneliness, the pain, the division, I read an article this past week about the state of faith in America. The article just powerfully, simply wrote, in the United States, decline of Christianity continues at rapid pace. The Barna Research Group found that roughly 60% of Americans check the box on the census when it comes to Christianity, but of that number, only one in four are practicing their faith, living the way of Jesus, are a part of a local church community, that their faith drives their everyday. Barna also found that the percentage of practicing Christians has nearly dropped in half since the year 2000 in our nation. In our city alone, San Luis Obispo was found to be the second most never church city in the United States. Our state, the state of California, um, many people from California are visiting and moving to your lovely state. But in our state, 75% of 
on this recent election cycle, Wall Street Journal took a poll, 75% of Californians rarely to never attend a local church, 40% of Californians or surveyed, say they believe the Bible to be a book of fables and fairy tales. This year, 3,000 churches were planted in the United States of America, 4,500 shut down and closed their doors. Now, I believe in a God who is able, but can I ask you, do you see the need? And what is our response to it? The disciples see the need and they see Jesus' heart, his compassion, his generosity, and they, see, they seem to go like, that's enough, let's dismiss, let's just send them home. They'll find food. The other ones that you didn't get to, they'll figure it out. They'll feed themselves. They'll stumble into something. Sometimes we can often be dismissive and go, well, God, I know that God is big and I know that God is able. And I know that God is on the move. So let's just send them home and let God figure it out. And Jesus turns and he says, I want you to see the need and I want you to engage. Can I say it is time for you, for me, for us, for we, not to discard others, but it's time for you and I to show up with compassion. Time for you and I to pray desperate prayers. Time for you and I to get up and go. Time for you and I to give, to serve, to be generous. Time for you to have faith. Time for you and I to show up to meet the need. Jesus turns and he says, you, feed them. This is my heart. And you can almost see this look on the disciples' faces, can't you? It's the same look I get from my 15-year-old son. He's a sophomore in high school, middle linebacker on the football team, strong, lifts weights. And I say, hey, son, can you take out the garbage? <sighs> but dad, hey, Keegan, can you clean your room? But, but I, don't, I don't think I can. Do you, have you seen my room? Yes. <laughs> but Keegan, can you feed the dog? It's a typical response when we are given a challenge or responsibility. Ah, I don't really think I can. The disciples look at Jesus when he says, you feed them, and they say, but Jesus, we only have five, five uh, loaves of bread and two fish, and we borrowed that from somebody else. This is all we got. How are we going to feed them? I don't know about you, but I see that response, but I only have a little. Can I ask you, what are the buts? in your life that keep you back from seeing God do what only he can do in you and through you? What are the buts that you go to? What are the buts that keep you back from seeing God do what only he can do in your life and through your life? What are the insecurities? What are the fears? What are the wrong beliefs? What are the, the pains? What, what's the baggage? What is it that stands in the way from seeing that God wants to use you to do something that only he can do in you and through you. But God, I don't have what other people have. But God, I only make this much. But God, I have this car payment and I have these bills. But God, I'm just a college student. But God, I have four kids and two dogs to feed. But God, I earned this. It's mine. Why should I share this? But God, I am just tired. I am exhausted. I am grieved right now. I am in a season. But God, what if there's none left over for us? But God, I don't know if what I am is enough. But God, have you seen gas prices? But God, inflate. Can I tell you about gas prices really quick? You guys don't even know. <laughs> you don't even know. I paid six 
79 before I came out here. So you can pray for us. <laughs> but God, gas prices, but God, I don't know if what I have or who I am will even make a dent. Have you found yourself wanting to do something, wanting to be a part of something, wanting to be generous, and you run in to the excuses, but God, I just, it's just it's what I have. I want you to watch what happens because Jesus is about to show the disciples and you and I that what we have, that who we are is more than enough in his hands. Jesus says, bring it to me. Verse 18, he says, bring them here, he said. And then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took what they brought the five loaves and the two fish, he looked toward heaven and he blessed them. And then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to his disciples, gave it back to them to distribute it to the people. Jesus says, bring, bring it to me. I know what you have. I know that it's just, just. I know who you are. I know your talents. I know your thoughts. I know your fears. I know your insecurities. I know your anxieties. I know the doubt. I know what you have. I know the little. Will you just bring it to me? And they bring it to him and they put it in his hands. This past year, my daughter had this uh, brand new device or toy or something and she was playing with it. And it um, in a moment, it kind of fell down the stairs and broke into what seemed to be a million pieces. And uh, she gets down on the ground and she starts messing with it and she starts trying to put it back together piece by piece and she's getting frustrated. And she can't figure it out. So she scoops up the pieces. She comes over to me and she puts it in my hands. Why? Why'd she bring it to me? Why did she put it in my hands? Because she trusted me with it. When my parents got divorced, I was a, almost a freshman in high school. I'm the oldest of three kids. My mom found, suddenly found herself a single mom with a house and a mortgage and some money that she did have and some money that she didn't have. And she had to deal with three kids who were angsty and involved and we had dreams and aspirations to go to college and do different things. And I'll never forget coming home from school one day. She was on the phone with my granddad. And she was crying. And she just said, Dad, I don't know how I'm going to do this. She said, can you come over? Came over 30 minutes later. He's sitting in our kitchen table. And I watched as my mom started to put things in my granddad's hands. Can you help with this? Can you help with this? Can you help with this? Why did she do that? because she trusted him with it. The disciples have been given a call, a responsibility, a command. You feed them, see the need and engage and step up, rise to the occasion. And they say, but Jesus, we just got these few things and these broken pieces and this, there's an overwhelming need. And he says, will you just bring it to me? And they do. They bring it to him and they put it in his hands. Why? because they trusted him with it. They have seen Jesus do time and time again the impossible. Jesus, they saw that he was and is and will forever be able and trustworthy. And what do you bring yourself to, your stuff to, your time to, your talents to, your treasure to? What do you trust? In the fall of 2017, um, Jenna and I had to make a decision to move out to slow. And I just have to tell you, it challenged our trust. The insecurities and the fears and the unknowns were real. And we were just going like, but God, what if I'm not enough? 
But God, like, I, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not a great preacher, I'm not a great leader, but God, I'm just five foot 11 and a half, I claim six foot on my driver's license, like, I'm not, what if I move out there? We, we drive a gas guzzler in a world of Priuses and electric cars. What if we show up and they look at us like we have four heads? What if, I, I can't preach like Rick Ashley, I can't preach like Bob Russell, I can't preach like Tony Evans, I can't preach like this. God, what if, why I can't? And I remember sitting at the kitchen table with my wife and she's flipping through her prayer journal throughout for this journey. And this is seared into my mind and to my heart. It was decision day and my wife said, how can we say no? How can we say no? Look at how faithful God has been. Look at how God has prepared us and repaired us Look at how God has shown up for us time and time again. I know there's a lot that we don't know, but how can we say no? And in that moment, put all our chips on the table and said, okay, Jesus, it's in your hands. Friends, can I tell you humbly, as somebody who's in the same boat with you, God can take who you are and what you have and do immeasurably more in you and through you than you could ever imagine when you trust him with it, when you trust him with who you are and what you are. God can do immeasurably more. Do you believe this? The disciples had five loaves of bread and two fish, and they bring it to Jesus. And Jesus says, this will do. He takes the offering and he blesses it and he breaks it and he gives it back to them and he says, share this. And they're looking at broken pieces of five loaves of bread and two fish and they've each got their basket and they're going around to the masses and something incredible happens. Jesus blesses the gift. He blesses what we bring. He looks to heaven. Man, their perspective changes in this moment. So verse 19, breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. Get it? They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and the children. I don't know how this happened, But God makes the impossible and the immeasurable happen. 5,000 men, women, and children ate their full. They were hungry, and then they were full. And then there were 12 baskets left over. How many disciples were there? There were 12. These guys who said, but we only have, but this is who I am, but, 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 but. And then God blesses, and there is an abundance. There's leftovers. This is our God, a generous caring, compassionate God who takes what we bring and turns it into abundance. God multiplies the gift. God takes what we have and he makes it go farther than we could ever make it go. There's an abundant blessing on the backside. I love what St. Francis of Assisi powerfully said. It is in giving that we receive. It is in giving that we receive. It's in giving. When I let go and I give and I bring it and I put it to, that my hands are open enough to receive the blessing. Is that blessing always financial? Not always, but he's gonna sustain you. It might be relational, it might be 
emotional, might be spiritual, abundant blessings that you receive from God when you get, it is in giving that we receive. And I'm here, however far away I am from, to tell you that this has been my story. This is our story. God put a call on my life, on our life, on our family's life, on our church and said, just bring me what you have. I know you don't believe that you can, but watch me because I can't. Bring who you are and I'll do immeasurably more. Just show up and be faithful and I'll do immeasurably more. And this is what immeasurably more looks like. It looks like Mark and Kathy. We met Mark and Kathy as we had the opportunity to walk our kids to school back and forth every single day when we moved to San Luis Obispo. And uh, they were chatty, chatty Kathy. And, um, and, you know, every morning, you know, sometimes on a slow morning, you're like, let's time it a little differently so we don't line up with Mark and Kathy. Love you, Mark and Kathy, if you ever see this. I apologize. Didn't change your names. Um, uh, and so we, uh, we, we are like, let's leave a little earlier. Let's leave a little later. But God ordained it. We would just line up with Mark and Kathy, and we would talk about the Raiders, and we would talk about life. One day after we dropped our kids off from school, Mark grabbed me and he said, hey, Brent, can I, can I talk to you about something? I said, yeah. He said, I just want to tell you, the week before you all moved in, the house next door to ours caught fire one night. We smelled the smoke and we heard the screams and our little family of four came outside of our house into the cul-de-sac and we watched in horror as the whole house was engulfed in flames. The elderly man and woman were standing outside and then out of nowhere he tore back inside after the dog. And we sat and we cried and we screamed his name. And the fire consumed the house and we lost our friend. He said the weeks after that have been really difficult. Um, we've been pained, we've been grieved, we don't know what we can do. And Kayla, their daughter, has been having nightmares. And she's asking me questions that I don't know the answer to. I said, what kind of questions is she asking you? Questions like, Dad, what happens after we die? He said, Brent, I don't know the answer to that question. She's asking, Brent, or she's asking, Dad, can we, can we pray together for that family, for our neighbor? And he said, Brent, I don't know how to pray. I've never prayed with my family before. What do we do? Can we come over and can we talk to you? So I feel like, he said, I feel like it's a little too ironic and a little too coincidental that the family that moved, is moved in down the street from us to plant a church is here a week after this tragedy in our life. And we just want to sit and we want to talk to somebody. And can I tell you, I ran into a internally, but I'm only, but I don't have the answers, but I don't really know what to say. And we, but they came over and we sat down and we talked about heaven we talked about a hope that was for everyone. And we talked about the peace of Christ that holds us together. And this is what immeasurably more looks like. In October of 2019, we had our first baptism Sunday. And this is a picture of Mason, their oldest son. That's Mark in the sunglasses. And, um, and this is the immeasurably more that God promises when you just say, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I do. I don't know what I have. But God, take it. Mason was baptized that day. I got to baptize my son that morning as well. Yeah. When we bring who we are and what we have, immeasurably more looks like Finn, 
who moved to the area from Boston seeking a fresh start, but found himself trapped in the same old patterns and the same old habits. Finn stood on our stage and shared something powerful. He said, I spent five years living under the bridges and in the creek beds of Slow County. He said, I was that guy walking around with a tent and a back backpack. I drank vodka morning, noon, and night with no concept of time. I spent months in the Slow County Jail. I was hospitalized so many times with pancreatitis that the staff knew me by name. I never thought I'd work again. I thought I was too far gone. I never thought I'd be able to look another person in the eyes. I spent years just looking at the sidewalk, feeling like I didn't earn my way in the world. He said, I was a homeless, hopeless drug addict. But today, I'm four years sober. Because of Jesus and a church like Slow City that saw me and valued me for who I was, not what I had done, I am now new in Christ. I am married. I am a father to my kids. I have a job as a director of a nonprofit that helps those in addiction. I'm going to college, and this is just the beginning of my journey. He shared, if there is hope for me, there is hope for everyone. I got to do Finn's wedding. I get to see him raise a family. Why? This is the immeasurably more that I could not write. This is not any of my doing. This is what God does when we bring who we are, what we have. And this is the implications of the passion and the heart behind this church. Can I tell you, can I tell you, this is my story, but this is your story. You've been a part of this. You are the reason Finn is walking with Jesus. You are the reason that Mark and Kathy and more Mark and Kathy's are meeting and finding Jesus in the, most sec the second most never church city in America. You, your generosity, your goodness, immeasurably more happens because someone like you responded to the call you feed them. Immeasurably more happens when people like you bring what they have and put it in Jesus' hands and say, Jesus, we trust you with this. And today, you have the opportunity to do it again. This is Harvest Sunday. And just know this, because of what you bring, churches will be planted. The lonely will find a home. The lost will be found. The sick will find healing. The hungry will be fed. The naked will be clothed. People will discover the hope of Jesus. They are discovering it right now because of your prayers, because of your blessing. So can I ask you boldly, humbly together, what will we bring? What do we have? Will you bring what you have? What do you have? I got five loaves and two fish. Jesus can take that and he can break it and he can multiply it. Some of you can write a check today for a million dollars. He'll take that too. <laughs> what will you bring? And what, ask yourself this question, what immeasurably more is waiting on the other side of you just bringing what you have, who you are? For nations, and generations. Now to him, our Lord, who is able 
to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory forever and ever in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, for nations and generations. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for the way that you take us, broken vessels, simple, and you do the miraculous in us, You put us back together when we were broken at our worst. And you bless us, you bless others through us. God, would you just give us the courage wherever we're sitting right now today to just respond to your voice. Respond to your voice, to see your faithfulness, to see your call, and to see what you could do in us and through us. We love you and we praise you. It's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray, amen.